Well, is it worth all we do to get these missionaries to the field? A lot of work involved in it, a lot of money involved in it, and a lot of prayer and a lot of goodbyes and sometimes heartache. Is it worth it? Well, back in 1917, there was a young family had graduated from Moody Bible Institute just before that. And they had a ticket on a ship leaving New York Harbor headed to the southern part of Africa. But they missed it. They couldn't make it there in time. The ship left and was sunk by the Germans. Several weeks later, they took a a different ship, had 30,000 gallons of gasoline in it, headed down again to the Atlantic. And on the trip down the ocean, the ship caught on fire. And they had to go into port in Brazil. But eventually that family, Anton and Viola Anderson, made it to South Africa. And then over a few years, they actually trekked uh, up across the eastern side of Africa from the south and ended up over around Tanzania and Kenya and then back across the jungle. And they arrived in a village on top of a mountain 500 miles out in the jungle in the Congo. When I was there just in August, I spent the month of August out there, and I asked the, I asked the Christians, how in the world did the Andersons ever find this village? And they said to me, it was only God who brought them here. Well, they arrived there in, in 19, in the, they went in 1917, they arrived there in the 20s. They, they learned the language. Uh, they began to preach the gospel to people, and they prayed a big prayer. And here was their prayer. They prayed, Dear Lord, would you help us to see 10,000 people come to know Christ before we go to heaven or Jesus comes back? Now, folks, that's a big prayer. They, those people where they lived had never heard the name of Jesus Christ when they got there. But they lived there through the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s in 1956. Anton Anderson died in that village. He's buried down at the foot of the mountain. When you, you walk a mile and two tenths, two kilometers down the mountain, and there's a water hole. The elephants came in and wallowed out a water hole, and the Africans dammed it up, and that's where we fished and baptized and took baths and a lot of other things, washed clothes. Anyway, uh, just you, you cross a, some fish ponds, a little walkway, bamboo across some fish ponds, go up in the plain, and Anton Anderson is buried there along with three of his children, and now just past his grave, there are nine African pastors buried there in a row. When Anderson died in 56, they had gone over the 10,000 people coming to know Christ. The American Embassy sent a man up to this village to observe that funeral. Now, you have to picture a little village on top of a mountain. And that person had an old-fashioned people counter, a clicker. And he counted over 6,000 people who came to an American missionary's funeral out in the middle of nowhere. So I guess my thought tonight is this. Is it worth all we do to get the missionaries there? And I say 10,000 times over, it's worth it. Because God can use one family and one individual to change their world. Having said that, I want you to look with me tonight. I want to read just a few verses tonight, beginning in First. Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. This will be a simple, and you probably, you are, you probably knew that before I said it, because I preached yesterday and you know, it's generally simple, but tonight, I'm not going to say anything that you don't already know, I'm sure. This, this will be one of the 
simplest messages about missions I, I, I think you've ever heard. But I hope it will be a help to you. But first, back now, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have, see those next two words, all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And then over in Second Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, there's another great verse there. And here's what it says. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slightness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Folks, I, I have been, um, I've been around a few miles, you can tell by looking at me. I've been a missionary. We joined BIM, uh, Linda and I joined BIM in 1973. I, I was just sort of a kid. I, Missionaries don't want to admit this, but admit this. But when we go out, we're just dumb as gourds. I don't mean lacking intelligence. It's not that, but we're we're just dumb. We don't know anything about culture. We don't know anything about language. And we go out to these places. And one of my one of my dear friends, brother Ron White, gone to Japan. And he was struggling trying to learn Japanese, and uh, it was coming slowly and. Uh, he got to the point, he knew enough he could preach in Japanese if he wrote out his message. But when you re- if you write your message, you preachers will understand this, if you write it, you can't look up. Because if you ever look up, you've lost your place and you, uh, that's it. So he was struggling, preached in J- Japanese one Sunday, he thought, I am, I'm not going to do this any longer. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach in Japanese without having to read my message. So that whole week he memorized and he studied and he worked. And he got up to preach his first message in Japanese without having to read it. And he did a good job, except the word he was trying to use is tsumi, which means sin. But he didn't say tsumi, he said tsuma, which means wife or wives. And he preached all the bad things that are happening in your lives, these wives that you have. All the sickness, all the disasters, all the problems... Of these wives, if you just chase these wives out of your life, and uh, <laughs> that's why I say missionaries. Anyway, and I can say that because I just like to tell other people's stories better than mine <laughs> when it comes to that. But I've been at it a long time, and I've already told you we've loved every moment of it. We've lived missions. We've loved it. We've learned more about it. We. I've taught about it 15 years that I, in, over my latter part of my life. I've taught 15 years in three different Christian colleges. I love I loved teaching. I love trying to inspire some young people to go do it. It's fun. It's exciting. And uh, I do want to say, though, that we joined BIMI in 1973, but do you, you understand that before we became officially, you know, joined a mission agency, before that, I was already a missionary. Uh, I, I believe that people were lost. I believe people needed to hear the gospel. I told you yesterday I surrendered to preach at 16 years old, or maybe I didn't. I might have been this morning in chapel. When you get old, you forget where you're at after a while. But I was I surrendered to preach at 16. Nobody in my family was a preacher. I was, Linda told you yesterday how shy and bashful she was. I was about that bad as myself. I surrendered to preach on a Tuesday. On Sunday, I went to church. Didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't want to go forward. 
I, got, I sat as far away as I could get. But finally, when the invitation was given, I went forward and told those people God had called me to be a preacher. Now, I was only 16 then, so I wasn't married. But my wife and her mom and dad went to that same church. And I found out years later, after I married her, her daddy went home that day and told her mother, Honey, that little fella never will make a preacher. <laughs> because no one would have looked at me and said, There's somebody God could use. But I'm glad that God chose to use me. Well, I was 16 when I surrendered to preach. Finished high school. I was still 17 years old. I, I was a run. I weighed 120 pounds soaking wet. Grew up on a farm. I, was, I thought I was tough. And I, I filled out my application to a Bible college in Greenville. And uh, I just could not get any peace in my heart at all about it. And God was working me over. And that year, instead of sending that application in, I did. Some people would say a very foolish thing, but I don't think so. I joined the United States Marine Corps as a government-paid missionary. One week out of high school, I was at Paris Island. And I just let them know from the first day, it's what I call staking your ground. And you practice this on the mission field. From the first day, I want them to know who I am. I give a tract of everybody around me. I just want them to know who I am. I don't try to make them do anything, but I want them to know I was a Christian and I'm a preacher. So they good-naturedly, for the most part, they called me preacher. And uh, that was, wasn't uh, June, July, and August in, in, on Paris Island. wasn't the most fun place in the world. But I was in 1st Battalion. But we, we were learning to shoot and break in on M14. Any of you older folk, uh, pre-M16 days, M14 rifles. I had a second battalion. So that night, went to my barracks and uh, my DI said, Preacher, come up here and pray. Two platoons of Marines in there. <clears throat> so a Marine does what he's told, generally. I went to the front of the barracks and I bowed my head and closed my eyes and said, Lord, thank you for saving me and you've been so good to me. And Lord, I just thank you so much for that verse there in Romans chapter 3. In verse 10, it says, as is it is written, there's the unrighteous, no, not one. And Lord, on down there in the same chapter, in verse number 23, it says, for all is sin. And come short of the glory of God. But I'm glad it didn't stop there because over there in chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, but God, folk, I pray through salvation, sanctification, glorification. <laughs> they couldn't say one word to me because they, they commanded me to pray. You know what happened after that? Every time one of those Marines got a letter from home and their mother was sick. Hey, preacher, would you pray for my, for my family? Hey, preacher, we were talking about the Bible the other day. They were arguing about it, you know. You, we, we're talking about the Bible. What is this verse? I'm just telling you that before I ever became officially a missionary, I already was one. Because I believe people need to be saved. And whether you're on in Africa or some other place in the world, uh, when we went to Tennessee Temple. First weekend there, we went to a bus pastor's meeting and we worked in the bus ministry. I'm simply saying that I believe, I'm a missionary for a lot of reasons, but I believe this book is a missionary book. And I believe it's a missionary book because our God is a missionary God. Now listen to me carefully. The Great Commission missions did not originate in Matthew chapter 28. Missions originated in the heart of God from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, they did not go looking for God. They were ashamed of themselves. They went and hid and God came looking for them. And so uh, it, it's been my 
it's been my passion. I, I talk about it all the time. It doesn't matter where we go. Linda and I have more fun witnessing the people on airplanes. I was flying somewhere and this guy sitting beside me, he was an executive with IBM and I tried to witness to him. He said, sir, I'm a Catholic. Don't have time to listen to that. Working on his laptop. After a while, he, he finishes up, closes the laptop. and I start trying to talk with him again. He said, sir, I've already told you that I'm a Christian and it doesn't matter what you believe. I think as long as you're sincere, if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or an agnostic or whatever, as long as you're sincere, that's all that's necessary. And I looked at him and smiled and I said, sir, you shock me. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, when you sat down beside me, you told me that you work for IBM. I just assumed you were rational. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're sitting there with a straight face. You're not even smiling. Telling me that you believe in 30 million gods of Hinduism and no god of Buddhism and the creator god of the Bible all at the same time. He said, hmm, I've never thought about it that way before. And I said, sir, let me just recommend to you that you better think about it because it cannot all be true. And I'm saying missions is my passion and I don't apologize for talking about it. And we, Amanda's already talked about missions conferences. One of the joys of our lives is getting to be in churches like yours and hanging around other missionaries. We love them. We have good time fellowship and we pray for each other. And tonight I want to give you, this This won't be overly long. I'm not going to say it was short. But it won't be overly long. I want, to, I want to share four simple things that every one of you church members needs to know about missions. Now I've already told you it won't be anything you don't already know, but I just want to rehearse this with you. Four things that every one of us needs to know about missions. And the first thing is this. We need to understand that missions is an essential part of what a church is. Missions is not just about location. It's not just about going somewhere. It's about reaching your next door neighbor. It's about reaching your community and your city and your state and our country. Now look, a car, a car can run. Some of you folk, again, older folk, maybe younger ones too. You know a car can run without a side mirror? How many of you know what this means? Yeah. Uh, a car can run without a mirror. It can run without a door handle. I was in some church and we were going to go out soul winning and the man I went with, the passenger side door handle on the outside, it wouldn't work. He, he'd have to go in and come across and let me in every time. But the car ran. The car will run without a back seat in it. It may not be comfortable, but it'll run. But a car will not run without an engine yet there are churches, and I'm not fussing at you, I know better here, but there are churches all over our country that go day in and day out and never see a soul saved, never give a dime to missions, never have a burden for their neighbors. Little is given. They relegate missions to, excuse me, I shouldn't even say this, but the little old ladies committee to see what they're going to do about reaching the world with the gospel. There are Christian schools that go year after year and never see somebody surrender to be a preacher 
a pastor, a pastor's wife, a missionary, a Christian school teacher. Yet, while Americans sit and enjoy the presence and the blessings of God, if we, anyone in this country that thinks they're poor, they need to travel with me and lend us some places we go. We need to understand it's, it's not, look, this thing of missions and missions conference and so on, it's not an option for us. This is an essential thing. I read a story about a young fellow wrote a letter to his girlfriend and he said, I would cross the widest ocean for you. I would swim the deepest ocean for you. I would scale the highest mountains for you. I would crawl across the burning sands of the desert to see you. P.S. If it doesn't rain on Wednesday, I'll come see you. Well, we kind of snicker at that. But I'm afraid very often folk sort of treat reaching the world that way. When we stand before the Lord, and we are going to, when we stand before the Lord, I don't think that the Lord is going to ask us, please, I want you to understand, this, I'm not, I'm not fussing at you. I'm just trying to make us all think. I don't think at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to ask us what brand of car we drive. He might ask us how many people we brought to church in the one we have. I don't think He's going to ask how many square, how many square feet does your house have in it? Most many places we go down in Southeast Asia and the Philippines and back toward Africa, a lot of times the whole family lives in one little room. I've been in houses here that when I, I walk in their walk-in closets and think I can fit a whole family of Africans in here. I don't think God at the judgment seat of Christ is going to ask us what brand of clothes we wear, what our job title was, how many friends we have. I don't think He's going to ask us what the color of our skin is. Sometimes I worry that He might ask me how many people I've done my best to win to Christ. Mel Rudder has been in heaven for years, a great missionary statesman, but I heard him say back in my Tennessee Temple days that he said this, anything short of world evangelism is treason. And I think he's right. It's, it's not something that we can delegate or relegate. It's not a side issue. It's not an afterthought. It's something we need to take seriously. Somewhere along the line, I ran across the motto of the French Foreign Legion. Here's what it says. If I falter, push me on. If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, shoot me. I'm always reading. I'm in the middle of sometimes three. Anybody like me, you're in the middle of three or four books at any given point in time. And I was reading through a book and it was telling the story of missionary Winfred Grenfell, the Labrador doctor. And he was back in England after many years in Labrador working. And he was sitting at the table with a, a bunch of distinguished British men and women. And this lady came sitting beside him at the elaborate dining table with her mink stole and and they're talking, and finally, she looks over at Dr. Grenfell and says, Is it true, Dr. Grenfell, that you are a missionary? And the doctor paused for a moment. And then he looked at that lady in her finery and said, Is it true, madam, that you are not 
Now, folks, do we really believe, and I know you all do here, and I know this church does a fabulous job, but I'm talking tonight to myself and to individuals. Do we understand that this is not a little nicety, this is not something we can just take or leave, this is the very heart of God to reach people with the gospel that we have heard, the gospel that saved our soul, the gospel that's done so many things for us. We need to take this seriously. Let me give you my second point. I told you this would not be anything new at all. We need to learn to pray seriously for our missionaries. <laughs> how, how do folk generally pray for missionaries? Lord bless all the missionaries around the world. I prayed that prayer too. Can I just give you some little practical suggestions? Get to know your missionaries. Keep them in your homes. Take their prayer cards and use them. Read their prayer letters and pray. I believe that. I've known that for years. But let me tell you one, maybe one reason this sermon, God gave me this sermon. Linda and I were in Japan some years ago and usually in the summer we went to the Orient and we had one field conference in Japan and one down in Philippines and one over in China. But that year, Maranatha Baptist Church, which is a great military church on the island of Okinawa, they had invited all of our missionaries to come there for field conference. You talk about a good situation. A lot of young military families, Marines, sailors, Air Force, and then these veteran missionaries from all over that part of the world. And we all came in for a week of just fellowshipping and eating together and, and laughing and having a good time. Had some preaching, had a, a, a pastor with us and just having a great time. But one morning... Uh, in the morning time, the ladies had gone off to have a time of prayer together. And then we men were going to pray together. And so I was their director. You, how many, you remember yesterday what I said about missionaries? Sometimes we lie. You girls don't listen to that. Okay. Missionaries, they don't lie trying to tell an untruth. But when they come into church and uh, or when they write their prayer letters... <laughs> They write those letters and they tell you how many people have been saved. They tell you how many churches they started. They tell you all these wonderful things. But sometimes their, their heart is breaking and they won't tell you that. They come to your church. I remember as pastor one time I had a missions conference going on. And Saturday night we, were have, we had a DVD and then we were having a question and answer time. And some of my, some of my folk asked the missionaries, Tell us what your greatest struggle, your greatest problem that you had on the mission field was. <laughs> well, see, they've been telling me all week. But when my people asked, they stood there on the platform and they lied. I'm sorry. They said, well, it was learning the language or it was, they named several things. And I said, as pastor, I said, time out. All right, time out. You tell my people what you've been telling me all week. Because the truth is, not only missionaries, but all of us, when we have real serious things going on in our lives and we have burdens, the truth is, sometimes we don't like to share it with other people. Well, we were in Japan. I'm back. I, I didn't get lost. The men were meeting in the church oratorium, and I was their director. And we had already been there two or three days, and everybody was just happy and smiling. And 
they will come up to each other. How you doing? How's the work going down in the Philippines? How's the work over in China? Oh, it's great and God's blessing. Well, I was the I was emceeing the uh, prayer meeting, and I stood up and I said to one of the men, his name's Ken Lyle, money missionary in China, one of the best church planners I've ever been around. In fact, just a few days ago, they had 120 in their church in China, Beijing, on the north side of Beijing. But I said, Brother Lyman, would you stand up? Would you tell us about your year last year? And Brother Lyman stood up and he told us about his wife's mother in her 50s had a heart attack and died. Then he told us about his sister who married an evangelist. They had seven children. He was preaching a meeting out in Canada and they had an accident in their van and Ken's sister was thrown out of the vehicle and killed. Now see, I knew that, but Ken didn't want everybody, you know how to... Y'all can identify with this, I think. He didn't want everybody else feeling sorry for them. And Ken told that story. And I said then, Brother Bob Tivo is one of our missionaries in the Philippines, veteran missionary. I said, Brother Tivo, would you stand up and would you pray for Ken Lauman and his family? And he did. And then I said, Brother Tivo, would you tell us about your year last year? And Brother Tivo stood up and told us about his his wife's father, Christian gentleman, went to church on Wednesday night, came home after church, pulled into his own driveway, and two young men related in the family, two relatives, beat her father to death in the driveway of his own home. Well, he told that. And then I said, Brother Dan Gardner, Dan's been there for years in Okinawa. I said, would you stand up and pray for Bob and Susan Tivo? And he did. And then I said, Brother Gardner, would you tell us about your year last year? And he stood up and uh, the Gardners have three sons and their youngest didn't know that he was diabetic at that time and he was working two jobs. This is in the U.S. He was coming back from work and he was tired and he went to sleep driving his car back home, ran off the road, and there were two ladies on bicycles, a mother and her 20-year-old daughter, and he hit both of them. And killed the daughter and injured the, the mother. And I don't need to, I don't think I even need to go on, but through that prayer meeting, you know what, you know how that prayer meeting ended up? It ended up with us crying and sobbing and loving on each other. And I'm just saying tonight, how do you pray for your missionaries? Do you read their prayer letters? Do you read those email, you know, now everything's modern. You know, we we've moved. I don't think is anyone here old enough, not missionaries, to even remember what an aerogram. Anyone know what an aerogram even is? That's the way we used to write, write on an aerogram and send it back and forth. Take weeks to get there. Do you read your missionaries' prayer letters? Do you read their email updates? Do you keep up with them? Do you go to their websites? I was at BIMI sometime after that, a different time I was there and. My telephone rang midnight. When a director's phone rings or a pastor's phone rings at midnight, it scares you. I answered my phone. It's one of our missionary wives, Rose Piles. There were missionaries on the, in the northern part of the Philippines. In fact, she's still there. I answered my phone and she said, Brother Godfrey, Denny, that was her husband. Denny just drowned. And he had gone into South China Sea to save some other people that got caught up in the undertow. And her husband 
drowned there in the Philippines. And I'm not trying to make, I think you understand, I am not trying to make you feel sad or any of that. I'm just asking tonight, if your missionaries' safety depended on your prayer life, how would they do? My my thought is, please forgive me for saying this. My thought is, there are more prayers that we give to keep grandmother out of heaven than than we give to keep lost people out of hell. Four things every member of this church, and, and some that are not members of this church, ought to know. Missions is an essential part of what we do. We need to pray seriously for our missionaries. Let me give you number three. It's from local churches and believers like this church and you all where we get our provision for missionaries and missions. So Brother God, what are you talking about? You all understand these young ladies came in. They drove. Did both of you drive? Flew. Whichever way you want to go at it, both are fun and both are interesting. And you you do understand that uh, when you go down to Delta or United and U.S. Airways and all this, uh, that they don't say, ma'am, ma'am, I'm glad that you're here today. Here's your ticket. They might say that after you've given them their money. Missionary travel. When missionaries go to the mission field, uh, they arrive there. They don't know anybody. Sometimes they don't have a building. They have to go down and rent a building. Uh, they start a church. There are no chairs in it. They don't Bibles. You understand? They don't give you Bibles. Uh, tracks are not, most of the time they're not free. Missionaries have to homeschool their kids. They're preaching on the radio. They have to have transportation. Uh, they're paying taxes. There's insurance. I'm just saying tonight, I, I'm not going to talk a lot about giving. I told the young people this morning, you've already heard my messages enough that I believe missions is about heart. And I believe when you've given your heart to the Lord to serve Him, that this belongs to Him also. And you don't have to have a preacher get up and beat you up about that. How many of you are like me? If I go to a car salesman and they try to make me buy their car, I'll go across the street and buy it at the competitors. Because I don't like anybody trying to make me do anything. Maybe that's my rebellious nature or whatever, but that's the way I am. I don't, that's not the way I operate. And I know your pastor doesn't operate that way. We're not here to try to put a guilt trip on you. I'm just here tonight to try to help us all understand that missionaries going to the field, it costs money to get them there. And God blesses churches that give and, and help them and, and send them out. Another one of my books, Books, I was prowling in a used bookstore somewhere, and I saw four hardback books by the late great pastor George Truitt, and they were a dollar a piece. And I bought all of them, and I went home, and I started reading those sermons. Reading through one of Dr. Truitt's sermons, he told the story about preaching there in Texas in the years he was pastor. He said he preached one Sunday, when he gave the invitation, one of his Christian school teachers came forward, a single lady, and she said, Pastor, I, I, I would like to uh, speak with you. And he said, well, fine, let's go back to my office. And they went back to his office, and, and uh, she was weeping. And she said, Pastor, God's called me to be a missionary to China. Now, he looked at her, and he thought, 
I don't think she's ever going to make it to China. She's not in good health. Her family has tuberculosis in the family. And I don't think that she'll ever be a missionary. But he had a prayer with her and encouraged her. And she applied uh, back in this as many years ago, applied to the Southern Baptist Convention to go as a missionary. And she did her physical and all those things. And and they said to her, ma'am, you have tuberculosis. You cannot go to China as a missionary. Well, several weeks went by. Dr. Truitt's preaching again on Sunday. He gives the invitation. And when he gives the invitation, he sees that lady coming back forward. And again, she says, Pastor, I, I would like to speak with you. And they go back to his office again. Again, she's weeping. And she says, Pastor, God has called me to be a missionary to China. And he was a little taken back. But then she said this, But now, Pastor, I understand... I can never go to China. But she said, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I make a little money and my father left me a little portion of land and I have a little bit of rent money that comes in for that. And she said, Pastor, if I downsize and I got a little smaller apartment and I could cut back on some things, she said, Pastor, I would like to fully support a missionary family to China. And she did those very things. Several years later, in the big assembly in Texas, the Baptist leaders, there's a medical doctor and his wife and family home on furlough from China. And they're standing before that large group telling what God has been doing in China. But what most people did not know, only two or three people knew, that all those years that that doctor and his wife were missionaries, missionaries in China because one single lady missionary supported them all that time. Well, it's from local churches that we get our provision to send the missionaries out. One more thing, y'all happy? That's three points, three points down and one to go. And last yesterday I preached one message. It just had one point, so I've got two extra ones. But it's all right. I've, I just got one, and I won't. I won't stay here very long. Are you thinking with me? What do we need to understand about missions? It's it's part of who we are, what we do. It should come from our heart. It's an essential part. It's it's people like us who pray and agonize over and for those missionaries. It's from churches like this one that missionaries get their support to go to the field. But I want you to know also that it's from local churches where we get. Our prospects. It's where we get our new missionaries. I, I, I love to see people get saved. You know what? I, you know what really gets me excited when when you win somebody to the Lord over in the Philippines or down in Nicaragua or over in Uganda or down in South Africa. When you win them to the Lord, and next Sunday they're in church with that Bible that I just gave them, and I'm up preaching, and they're out there underlining, and they're they're writing notes, and give me some more. And uh, then one day you see one of them come forward. And say, preacher, God's called me to be a, a missionary. We have a, I have a friend. He's a missionary in Uganda. He's Filipino. Uh, he's, he got saved in Iloilo City, Philippines. Went to Bible college in Iloilo City. God started working on him. He raised his support in the Philippines. He's now in the country of Uganda. And I was there two years ago. They're running a thousand people plus every Sunday in their church. Now, you want to get me excited? That would get me excited. Let me give you a word of recommendation tonight. Every person here ought to say, Dear God, here's my life. You can take it. 
you do with it what you want. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to call you. We've already heard that tonight too. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you what God wants you to do. Uh, because being a missionary is not just going overseas. But I think that every one of us who are saved need to be able to say, Dear Lord, I offer you my life. Let me get a little more difficult. Let me, can I pry just a little bit? I, I, I preach conferences like this 20, 25 a year all the time. And more than that, if you count overseas. Here's what I find. If I were to stop right now and say, let's have the invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you folk at Cross Point Baptist Church, if God called you to the mission field, how many of you would be willing to go? I can tell you what we'd see here, preacher. All across this building, both sides down the middle, all across this church, hands would go up. Because I've already been here long enough to get a feel for your heart and your love for God. And I believe that almost everyone here would raise your hand and say, Dear Lord, if you call me, I'm willing to go. But if I change my invitation, and I said, how many of you tonight are willing for God to call your children and your grandchildren to go to Africa? How seriously, folk, do we take this matter of reaching the world with the gospel? Are we praying, dear Lord, could you use my children on the mission field? Lord, would you use my grandchildren? I don't think I could preach this to you tonight if we had not done that. We've never tried to call our children to the mission field. We have five of them. Our kids are serving the Lord. Our youngest daughter, they're missionaries in Nepal. And so I don't think I could preach this to you if we didn't actually do that. That we have a lot of fun with our kids. I've been to China and Japan and Philippines and I came back jet lagged, worn out, just in time to do the wedding for one of my daughters. I did all three of my girls' weddings. I must be crazy. But Benita's my middle daughter. She has natural curly red hair. She was born in Africa. Natural curly red hair. She got it from me. <laughs> and anyway, I, I was jet lagged and his youth pastor started the wedding and I escorted my beautiful daughter Bonita in and the youth pastor said, who gives this bride? And I said, her mother and I. And then we switched places. And so I was doing the wedding. And I, I was doing pretty good at it at first. But then I, I started quoting Raptavia and Fiddler on the Roof. Is this the little girl I carried? <laughs> Is this the little boy at play? I don't remember growing older. When did they? And by that time, I was bawling. Everybody in the church was crying because I was crying. Well, I finally got my, I finally got my composure and I went ahead and did the wedding. And afterwards, someone came to me and said, uh, Pastor, we've never heard someone joke through the vows before. Because when it, she was marrying a preacher. And when it got to the part said for richer or for poorer, I said, there is no doubt which way this will be. 
<laughs> so they said, we've never heard anybody joke through the vows. I said, I wasn't joking. But anyway. Let me, let me wrap this up. Don't, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you believe like I do that there are some things in life more important than sports? Now, I love sports. Hey, don't take that. I, I love sports. I watched the game. How many of y'all were happy yesterday? Including me, I watched it. At least part of it that I didn't nap through. But anyway, nothing wrong with sports, but I believe there are some things more important than sports. There's nothing wrong with popularity and power, but I, I do believe there's some things in life more important than popularity and power. There's some things more important in life than money. Linda will tell you that literally everywhere we go across this world, I, I preached in over 40 countries. I lost count. I really don't know, but I, I know over 40. Every place I go with missionaries, you know what? The, you know the cry I get from the missionary? It's not for more money most of the time. The cry I hear from the missionaries everywhere I go is this. We've got to have more help. We've got towns and we've got villages and there are millions. You you hear talking in Japan, a city over here with a million people, two million people, and there is no missionary. There's no church there preaching the gospel. And I hear that everywhere I go. I wonder who's going to take the place of a Daryl Champlin. Who's going to take the place of an Anton Anderson? Who's going to take the place of a Dr. David Cummings? Who's going to take one of my dear friends, Ralph Burchell, many years, went to Temple, was in seminary with me. His wife had been a single lady missionary in Japan, came back, met Ralph, they got married, went to Japan, had five kids, reared them there. And Ralph's in heaven now. Who's going to, who's going to Japan and take Ralph Rochelle's place? Roland Simonson, another one of my dear friends. Roland was born in China. His grandparents were Swedish Baptist missionaries to China. Roland's mom and dad met in China, stayed there till the Boxer Rebellion, had to leave Japan. I mean, China went to Japan. Roland grew up in China and later Japan, came to America, met his wife and took her back to Japan. He's been there all of his life now. He's, he's 80 years old at least, still serving the Lord, but he's not physically able to do what he used to. Who's going to go to Japan and take Roland Simonson's place? Who's going to go to the Philippines and take Dennis Powell's place who drowned trying to save some kids in the ocean? Who's going to go take their place? Do we really pray and do we really seek the face of God and say, Dear Lord, we have a wonderful church here. This scares the preacher to death when I preach this way. Except he's, he totally agrees with me. You know what will really change a church? When God calls your people out. Hey, it's, it's, look, you look at it differently and you understand it better and you pray for them more and you support them better when God calls someone from your midst. And I wonder tonight, I'm not going to do it. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I wonder about you tonight, older people, parents, grandparents, and, and young people who are here. Would you say tonight, 
Dear Lord, would you help me to be a missionary? I would love to go to Japan and replace Rapper's Shell. I'd love to go to the Philippines and take Dennis Powell's place. I would love to go to uh, Suriname or to the Congo and take Daryl Champlin's place. Would you pray that prayer tonight? I'm, I'm not going to. I would not force you to do it. I wouldn't, want it. I wouldn't want it that way at all. But I do think tonight we ought to be praying, Dear God, would you call someone from here? These are, these are my children. Uh, when I had missions conference, I always, it was the highlight. We called it mission revival. It was the highlight of my year, but every year I went into it, I was just, I just about knew God was going to call my youth pastor. It happened more than once. And then God would call another family. And, and it, as a pastor, it sort of scared me, but then at, at the same time as a pastor, it thrilled me to no end that God was calling out people from our church. Because you know where God gets His missionaries? From local churches just like this one.